Father God, we um, do rejoice in, in your kindness to us and um, we thank you for these songs that we've already sung that reflect on who you are as, a, as a, um, a holy God, a three times holy God, a God who is three in one. We thank you uh, for you, uh, for you making yourself known to us. We thank you for your word that testifies to your son, our Lord Jesus, where you are fully revealed. Um, and so we pray that today as we come on into your word um, that you will speak to us by your spirit uh, and uh, convict us, comfort us and uh, show us more of the glory of our Lord Jesus. Um, in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Corinne. John 10, 22 to 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, the Jews who were there, gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are now not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, Have I shown you many good works from the Father? For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But I do them, even though you do not believe me, because the works that you may know and understand that give the father, understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Uh, you've probably heard of the recent movie that's out. Maybe you've seen it, The Darkest Hour. It tells the story of uh, Sir Winston Churchill. Uh, and it details, I haven't seen it yet, <laughs> I'd like to, but it, it, it details this period of four weeks, these four intense weeks, when he becomes, uh, as the British Prime Minister, he leads the country into war with the seemingly unstoppable Nazi forces. Um, and looking back, Churchill has, has this kind of aura about him, doesn't he? He has become this prime example of a leader who was perfectly matched to his circumstance or his situation, 
to the need that Britain was in at the time. They, he, he was the leader that they were looking for, he was the leader that they needed. Friends, when, you, when we turn to John's Gospel, and especially the passage we're looking at today, you, you, you see something like that, a people who are looking for a leader. Um, a people who are looking for a leader. It, it's not just the people in John's time, uh, the, the, when this was set. Um, if you look through the Old Testament, there's this yearning for a leader all through it. I'm going to um, flick back to the book of Ezekiel. It will come up on the screen. It was written 600 years before, uh, around 600 years before John's Gospel was written. Uh, and, and it was written to God's people Israel. And in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, God, he kind of, God lays, it's, it's, uh, uh, through his prophet, God really lays into the bad leaders in Israel. Israel had suffered really bad leadership. He, uh, the shepherd, the, who he calls the shepherds of Israel, had treated God's people brutally and harshly. Uh, but then in this Old Testament prophecy that was looking ahead, God promises this incredible thing in verse 11. Uh, it reads, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God himself would search for his sheep. He would find them and rescue them. He would look after them. There would come a time when God would be the shepherd of his people in this new and complete and incredible way. And if you read on this chapter in Ezekiel, um, God, uh, God says he, he will do this through his promised king. Verse 23 should come up. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God would shepherd his people through his king. He gets called David here. Not literally David. David had died hundreds of years before this, but... Uh, the, the king in the line of David, from David's family. This uh, is, picks up a thread that runs through the Old Testament. This figure, God's promised, eternal, perfect king in the line of David. It, this figure becomes this burning hope through the Old Testament for this leader that the people were longing for. Another way to talk about him uh, in the Old Testament is using the the title, the Messiah. Um, Messiah just means anointed one, uh, God's promised king, this promised coming one. And so all of that is in the background when this, as we turn to the passage that we're looking at today, this group of Jewish people sort of gather around Jesus. It makes it sound a bit tame, doesn't it? I think it was probably not just a nice gathering, but really kind of a bit of a mob they mob around Jesus, and in verse 24 of chapter 10, they ask him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are this leader that we've longed for? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. It's this really 
charged question, and it's a really tense situation. Um, we read in verse 22, just a couple of verses earlier, that we're, we're at another Jewish festival, this festival of dedication. Um, and if you've been with us for the last few chapters through John, you'll know that uh, he, he keeps showing us Jesus at all of these different festivals. Um, Jesus goes to these festivals and he, and he sort of turns them upside down. He turns them on their heads. He takes all of these symbols of religious hope, uh, all of these symbols, and he takes hold of them and points them to himself. And it's no different here. The, uh, if you're looking for this festival, though, the festival of dedication, if you're looking for it in the Old Testament, uh, you won't find it. It's not there. It was sort of a newish um, religious festival at the time when Jesus was around. Uh, it was a festival that celebrated this great military victory about 200 years before this. Um, there was this foreign king who had invaded uh, the Jewish temple and had torn down its altar and set up his idols in there. Um, the, the Jewish people fought back and there was this incredible victory, uh, a battle against all the odds, and they rededicated this temple. That's why it's called the Festival of Dedication. It's celebrated still today by Jewish people. You might have heard uh, of the celebration of Hanukkah. That's this same, um, this same festival. Anyway, um, so you can, you can imagine it's this highly charged moment, right? It's a moment of national pride as they're remembering this great victory. Uh, this, this celebration of the temple. The temple was at the heart and soul of their life together. Um, again, if you've been reading John up to this point, you know Jesus has had a pretty rocky relationship with the temple. Uh, back in chapter 2, he took a whip to it. Uh, and if you remember, that was you know, a couple of years ago, we were in chapter 2, but he, he took a, his whip to it, drove people out, and he claimed that he himself was the new temple, the, the, the real place, the new place, the complete place where you go to meet God in the person of Jesus. And, and then more recently, back in chapter 7 and 8, we looked at not long ago, Jesus goes to the temple again, the, the, another festival. Um, so uh, uh, when we read that Jesus is walking around the temple here, we're supposed to sort of feel a bit of a, a charge in the air. We're supposed to think something is going to happen. There's, there's tension going on. There's, uh, uh, yeah, there's a charge in the air. It's all a bit ominous. And Jesus is surrounded by these guys. He's being interrogated about who he is. And it's really interesting what he says in response to their question. Um, he says in the next verse, uh, I'll just get to it here, they, they ask, uh, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answers in verse 25, I did tell you. It's an interesting thing Jesus says. He, there's no record in John up to this point of Jesus actually making a public, explicit statement saying, I am the Messiah. Uh, he has done it in private. If, uh, if um, in, before now in John, he's done it privately to the woman at the well, and um, and in a way to the the blind man that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, but he knows the Jewish leaders. I think this is what is going on. He, Jesus knows the Jewish leaders are kind of 
playing a bit of a game with him. They're, they're just waiting to catch him out, um, for him to say something that they can grab onto and sort of take him to court about that would incriminate him. He knows it's not yet his time, so he's not going to play their games. Uh, he's not going to give them that kind of explicit evidence he wants. But what he is saying is, uh, I have, it is completely clear um, my answer to that. He does say, I did tell you. And while he hasn't made this sort of public announcement, he's the Messiah, what he has done and said is completely plain. He says, he keeps going in that verse, the works I do in my Father's name, with just a word, he has turned water into wine. He has instantly healed this lame man who's been lame for years and whose muscles have all atrophied and whose nerves have gone. He's instantly healed him. He's fed thousands, probably 15,000 people with a few bits of fish and bread. He's given sight to the blind. He's walked on water. And right at the end of John's Gospel, we find out that all of that is just a tiny fraction of what Jesus had done. They're all clear signs, Jesus says. They are clear signs pointing to who he is. Uh, you add on to that the claims to be bread of life, the one who gives living water, the light of the world, and especially what we looked at last week at the start of chapter 10, especially that passage about the good shepherd with Ezekiel 34 ringing in your ears. Um, Especially that no one with half an eye open could say that, he, that Jesus hasn't plainly revealed himself, who he actually is. But the people interrogating Jesus, the, the issue isn't really that Jesus hasn't been clear. The issue is they don't believe him. And so Jesus presses into what is really going on. Uh, the reason they don't believe isn't because Jesus hasn't been clear with them. It's not that they don't have enough evidence. The reason in verse 25 is... Um, uh, but Sorry, back to verse 25. The reason in verse 25 is that they are not his sheep. Now, it's worth thinking at this point about this strong image Jesus uses. A sheep is a herd animal... It's a follower. It's dependent on its shepherd. Sheep follow, right? That's what they do. I, a good, a good friend of mine, well, actually, some, occasionally they don't follow. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But basically they, they are followers. A good friend of mine uh, is, uh, grew up on a sheep farm in New South Wales. And he tells me this story of one time when he was watching his sheep. They were all sort of just chilling out under a, a big tree, this um, group of about 15 sheep or something. Uh, and one of them decides to go down to a, a dam that was a little way off um, for some water. So one of them trots off, and he, my, my friend tells me this story that he was sitting there watching them and just thought, I'll just wait and see what happens. So the one who um, went down first, went down to the water and got a bit of a drink, he, and, and the others, apparently, they all sort of just followed. They followed this sheep down to the water. But by the time the first one had got there, he, he was starting to come back up to the tree, but then he saw the last sheep going down to the water and followed the last sheep. And so these sheep sort of went on this um, eternal circle. <laughs> you know, 
didn't last for that long, but it was the, 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 the first sheep sort of thought, oh, the last sheep's there, I'll follow you. <laughs> and they just kept going round and round. Uh, of course, they needed a shepherd, right, to follow. And you get what's going on here, right? Here's this, here's Jesus. He's an uneducated country boy, essentially. Uh, a, um, uh, a blue-collar worker. And he's telling these powerful, theologically trained religious leaders that the central issue in their lives was that they were not his sheep. That the only way that they could really see the truth about who he is was to let go of their control and their pretense and pride and follow him, depend on him, entrust their lives to him, become like a farm animal before him. And so you can kind of imagine that cuts against the pride of these guys, right? How humiliating really it would have been to hear Jesus say that. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Jesus is claiming, he is claiming to be the promised shepherd of Ezekiel 34 that we looked at. Um, but he's claiming it in an even bigger way than, than people would have expected. Um, if you read through that passage in Ezekiel, there's this kind of, um, and you get this often in the Old Testament uh, with this, this hopes that come, there's this kind of ambiguity between, well, is, is God the shepherd or is the Messiah the shepherd? And, and there's some connection between them. But what Jesus does is he comes uh, and he says, how can you hold those two together? Jesus makes this claim, and he's made, it, he's made it again and again in these chapters. It's the claim that enrages his opponents in verse 30. In verse 30 he says, I and the Father are one. This coming Messiah, this leader that they were longing for, wouldn't be just another human king who would rule for a while and then go the way of all flesh. The shepherd king of Ezekiel 34 would be God himself, the eternal son made flesh, fully human and fully God, the Lord himself come to rule and reign over his eternal kingdom. And these guys are enraged by Jesus' claims. See, it's not that he hasn't been clear. He's clear enough for them to want to stone him, right? Uh, and they try to do that in verse 31. They pick up stones to stone him. And don't you just love this Jesus' response again? He just stays totally calm. Right? Um, he says to him in verse 32, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? He kind of catches them off guard. Of course they can't deny his good works. By that he means his mighty miracles. Um, they can't deny the incredible things he's done. But they also they understand what those things mean. <laughs> they understand that they're not just random good works by a random miracle worker. They understand that Jesus, through those works, they understand who he is claiming to be, one with the Father. 
And the reason they give for stoning him down in verse 33 is because he, a mere man, is claiming to be God. Uh, Jesus' response, though, gets even more unexpected as you, as you keep reading. You see from verse 34, he's got, just picture the scene, right? He's got this mob surrounding him, ready to kill him. Uh, and he starts quoting the Bible to them. It'd be kind of, it's unexpected, right? It, I was thinking of maybe some kind of, it doesn't, it's not exactly parallel, but it'd be kind of like a, if you're watching a sport match and there's this brawl erupt. I don't know, does AFL have brawls? Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they're having a rugby, but you know that I, yeah, not. Anyway, I imagine, imagine if you will, a brawl in an AFL game. Imagine, so you've got this group of enraged players sort of streaming in to, you know, uh, knock each other flat. And just imagine right in the middle of that, that one of the players is just standing calmly and still and looking each, each of them in the eye and saying, uh, friends, I believe you'll find in section 2.1 of the Players' Code of Conduct that states quite clearly that AFL players must behave at all times in a sportsmanlike manner and uphold the highest standards of professional conduct. Right, so, uh, you get what I mean, right? It's, it's unexpected uh, in the face of such intensity, people that they've got the stones in their hands, ready to throw at him. And Jesus, well, he doesn't appeal to a sports handbook, right? He, he appeals to the scriptures, the written word of God, and he has such confidence in them that it's like his instinct to turn to them. He says, is it not written in your, in your law? Verse 34, he says to this angry crowd who are ready to kill him, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. It's a tricky little passage. and I know a lot of us have sort of wrestled with this in home groups for the week. It can seem a bit strange, hard to figure out what Jesus is getting at. Um, he quotes, there, he quotes a, um, the first, uh, a bit of a verse from a psalm. It's Psalm 82. In that psalm, God is talking to the leaders of Israel and he calls them gods, sort of lower case G gods. He gives, he, uh, and the way it comes across is it, he, God, has, God has given them his word and they were like his representatives on earth. Um, and in that sense, Psalm 82 says of them, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, and it goes on to say how much they've messed that up. But um, there's, there's more to say, but Jesus' point really is quite simple here, I think. Uh, since the Bible itself calls them gods, he kind of uses this how much more argument, right? Uh, the Bible calls the leaders of Israel in that sense gods because they were the vehicles of God's word to the world. How much more can Jesus... The eternal word made flesh, set apart by the Father and sent into the world, the unique eternal Son. How much more can he be called the Son of God and one with the Father? Um, but Jesus doesn't leave it there. And notice how he keeps, he just keeps calmly, patiently offering life to these people who are surrounding him and trying to kill him. 
In verse 37 he goes on, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. <laughs> Look at the works themselves. But if, uh, if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Uh, he appeals to them. He says, look, even if you don't believe, uh, look at my works. You may know who I am. But they don't believe. They show by their actions that they're not actually his sheep. And they try and seize him and he escapes again. According to Jesus, friends, this, we've kind of looked through it, this is the nature of unbelief. What's going on uh, when people don't believe? him uh, these for these guys not not believing in Jesus is not because Jesus hasn't been clear it's not because there's any lack of evidence for who Jesus is it's not because of anything like that you can have all the evidence lined up you can this story shows us you can have the Son of God himself the word made flesh standing before you you can have seen him perform the mighty works of God and have heard his claims to be one with the Father and still not believe it's not because of lack of clarity or lack of evidence the real reason for people not believing is that they are not his sheep they don't belong to him they haven't humbled themselves before him and recognized him as their good shepherd We'll reflect a bit more on that later, but there's those who don't believe in this story, but Jesus does talk about those who are his sheep, right? Who do follow him. We skipped over those verses. We'll flick back to them now in verse 27. Those who do believe, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Those who do believe, Jesus' sheep, are those who are given to him by his Father. And Jesus uses this image of both himself, the Son and the Father, holding on to them with these strong unbreakable hand they are utterly secure and this hold that the triune God has on his sheep is so strong it will hold on to them even in the face of the great destroyer even in the face of death there is nothing not even death that is stronger than this grip that this shepherd has on his sheep he will hold them fast. He will hold them fast. It's a powerful image of God's sovereignty, right? The father chooses and gives his sheep to his son. The way into this fold is through God's gift, through God's initiative. There's a deep mystery here and that has taken up the greatest of minds. Um, but all I want to do is to point out that Jesus believes this 
Um, but he also offers his life to all people. We've seen it even here. Even here, he urges these people, these leaders, to believe him. He, he offers that to them. He urges them to it. We've seen it all through John crying out, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. God's sovereignty is never reason to despair about whether or not you can come to him. Uh, anyone can come. You can come to Jesus today. And if you do, you will look back and know that it was God who brought you to that point, that he chose you and called you by name as his sheep that he will not let go of. And what's the part of Jesus' sheep? What's their responsibility? There's just two things that Jesus says here. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. That's the mark of a true sheep of this shepherd. It's such a powerful image, this metaphor of sheep and shepherd. It's there to paint this picture of what belonging to Jesus looks like. It's like that sheep who knows her shepherd, who has her ear tuned to his voice and who is eager to hear it, uh, to follow him wherever he leads. Well, the story finishes off with this real contrast. It's this intense confrontation in the temple. And right at the end, uh, in verse 40, it's like this calm before the storm. The storm is coming. We're going to enter into the storm pretty soon of John's Gospel. Um, we're about halfway through, and the interesting thing about John is the, the chapters we've covered cover a few years. The rest, pretty much the rest, from about chapter 11 or 12, um, it, it is set within a few days. Um, it's all taken up with the last week of Jesus' life as he moves towards the cross. The storm is coming. But this is like a bit of an oasis before Jesus gets there. People here have a very different reaction than the leaders in Jerusalem. They see Jesus, they get who he is, and in verse 42, they, they enter his fold. They believe in him, they trust themselves to him as their shepherd, the king who holds them in his hands. Well, friends, here's, here's the leader that all of the Old Testament was straining towards the leader that God's people, God's true people were longing for. And as the gospel story goes on, we find out here is the leader not just for one people, not just for the people of Israel, but for all of God's people from every tribe and nation, every tongue, forever. I just wanted, just, I just wanted to finish with a few brief Reflections that come out of what Jesus says here. Now, firstly, you notice that Jesus shepherds his sheep directly through his word. Jesus shepherds his sheep directly through. If you're a Christian, you have a direct relationship with Jesus. I know Mark talked about that last week. It's so, so significant. Jesus knows you like, like Tony knows his sheep, right? Jesus knows you. Your relationship to him is not mediated through other people. It's direct. 
And he leads you by his word, through his word. I think that has, there's more <laughs> implications to that than we can cover here. It's huge, I think, the, the impact that that has. Any other leadership among God's people is faithful leadership only insofar as it respects and encourages that reality. That Jesus is the chief shepherd, that he leads his people, each of them, directly through his word. If you are his sheep, friends, let this image Jesus uses spark within you a renewed yearning to hear his voice. Wherever you are, whenever you can, whenever you gather with his people, when you're at home, whenever. You have so many other voices seeking, speaking to you, right? Seeking to lead you, actually. But his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And that is good news because, secondly, he's not just the shepherd who directly guides his people through his word. He is the good shepherd. It's good news because he is the good shepherd. Here is a leader like no one else. All human leadership is tainted by sin and weakness. Uh, Here is the perfect leader. The shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who takes it up again and gives them eternal life. Jesus shepherds his people. He is the good shepherd and it is good to be his sheep. I just want to finish on this. It is good to be his sheep. It's better than anything else. John's whole purpose, and we'll keep coming back to this, you find it at the end of his gospel, the whole purpose of John writing this gospel is that people would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one promised in places like Ezekiel 34. And that by believing, by entrusting themselves to this leader, this shepherd, that they would have life in his name. Friends, if you have believed, just take the chance today to soak yourself in this truth that you are his sheep. If you haven't yet believed there's things to work through, come to the Life Explored series. But don't hold off forever. There's, a, I, I think, a bit of a warning here that, or, uh, that is raised in this passage that it may, it may be that there, there are genuine kind of things to work through, of course, but it, this passage raises at least the possibility that the real blockage for people may be not evidence, not clarity, but a heart that is hard towards the evidence and the clear claims of Jesus. So, friends, soften your hearts to Jesus. Come to him, believe in him. Become his sheep and he will hold you fast. Uh, There's no better leader to follow and there are no better or stronger hands to be in. We pray. When I fear my faith might fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast.
Oh, gracious God, we praise you for your majesty and power. We praise you for being the shepherd of your sheep that we have always longed for. We thank you for the mystery that is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, have come into this world in the person of your Son to be the shepherd over your people. Lord, help us to trust you. Keep us uh, from ever not entrusting ourselves to your care. Help us to trust you as the one who will hold on to us. Please deepen in us our yearning to hear your voice. Uh, Forgive us for our cold hearts, uh, for the way in which um, we seek after other voices so often. Help us, Father, each of us, your sheep, to be led by your voice, to yearn for it. And we pray for those who are not yet part of your fold. Please work in their hearts to soften them to you and to reveal yourself to them. And we pray that in your glorious name. Amen.